This morning, our story comes from Exodus as we are finishing our series on how firm a foundation, where we've been reading the stories from our beginnings, stories that, as Lance would point out, did not just happen, but are happening now. Let us hear the word of God. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. Out of the slavery, their cry for help rose up to God. God heard their groaning. And God remembered God's covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked upon the Israelites, and God took notice of them. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. Moses looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that Moses had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Then God said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. God said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I also have seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So with all of her strength that she could muster, she hoisted the backpack onto her back. Grunting over the size of it, she kept adjusting it until it sat squarely on her hips. It held everything that REI had told her that she would need for the next three months. Layers of clothing and food, water purifier, camp stove, headlamp, sleeping bag, chair, towel, tarp, mug, everything. And most importantly, Stain found the Pacific Trail Volume 1, California the guidebook that would lead her through the mountains of the Mojave Desert, through California and Oregon, to the border of Washington State, all by foot and all by herself. It took only this first time of putting it on her back to realize that she was in way over her head. And yet, despite all of her body and mind telling her to run back towards civilization, she buckled the clasps and she set out on the trail she would very soon find that the hiking boots were too new and too small, the supplies were too numerous and too superfluous, and her heart was too worn and too raw. 
At the age of 22, Cheryl Stray decided it had all become too much. The death of her mother to lung cancer, the disintegration of her dignity at the hands of heroin, the inevitable dissolution of her marriage, and she left it all behind on this journey to find herself out in the wild. So the backpack settled squarely on her back. She began the journey that she would later narrate in her memoir, Wild, that tells the story of the backpack that rubbed her skin raw, the silence that brought out the voices within her, and the wilderness that demanded all that she had to give. Halfway through the trail, she writes that simple truth when you're out and you have escaped. She writes, there was no escape or denial, no numbing it down. There were only two options, and they were essentially the same. I could go back in the direction that I had come from, or I could go forward in the direction I intended to go. Unlike Cheryl, our main character did not have a sophisticated camp stove and portable sleeping bags. Nor did he have detailed guides and clearly marked trails. But reasons to leave his life behind, he had plenty. Hebrew-born and Egyptian-raised, born to the oppressed and raised to be an oppressor, the tension of the whole land lived within Moses. As he grew and he became aware of that dual conflicting identity that he had, it all became too much. Moses kills an Egyptian he sees beating a Hebrew slave because of his all-consuming anger. Moses runs away to Midian to escape Pharaoh's anger because of his all-consuming fear. And with each frantic, pounding footstep, Moses leaves it all behind. Once in Midian, a heroic saving above a group of sisters at a well ushers in his new life. In this faraway land, a man with a traumatic past tries to build a completely new future. He must have craved stability and quiet and rest with his new wife and children. His new role as shepherd must have granted him a lot of time by himself, time most likely filled with flashbacks and guilt, perhaps apathy and most of all anger, as he was a child raised in systems of violence and abuse and oppression. In the solitude in the wilderness, it must have haunted him still. But his cries of isolation are nothing compared to the mounting cries of the Hebrew slaves in the grip of that new Egyptian king. Back in Egypt under the regime of the new pharaoh, the text tells us that the people groaned. Not pleas or bargaining or demands to God or to anyone in particular. It simply says that they groaned. Some inarticulate cry from the depths of them that knows not what to ask for, but only that something must be asked and something must be changed. And it's this united guttural roar that pierces that, devoun- that boundary between human and divine and leads to some of the most profound words of scripture. God heard. God remembered. God saw. God took notice. And immediately, the narrative takes us straight to Moses, alone in the wilderness with his flock, and an emphatic, emboldened, and resolute God approaches the vulnerable, jittery, Hebrew-born, Egyptian-raised Moses. Moses. 
Piercing that dull landscape, Moses sees the bush ablaze. And piercing the silence, Moses hears the voice of God. God says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. As if to rekindle the memory for the man who tried to leave the past in the past. The one unsure if he's the oppressed or the oppressor. As if to anchor Moses in the lineage of the covenant of promise and protection that God gave to Moses' ancestors. To tell Moses who he is. One of God's beloved and called people in a dynamic relationship with the creator. As Moses looks away for fear that the sight is too powerful... God launches in as if unable to contain it any longer. I have observed the misery of my people, God says. I have heard their cry. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them and to bring them up. It's as if that rally cry of the people has pierced God's heart. God stands with them in the assertion, this cannot continue. God is determined to rescue the people and bring them out of oppression. The people's hearts are broken, and now God's heart is broken. Trembling and barefoot, he stands. The vulnerable, jittery, Hebrew-born, Egyptian-raised Moses. This man who fled the chaos then receives the great imperative from God. And piercing any dream he had of stability... Moses hears the call to go back. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. As one theologian writes, in one brief utterance, the grand intention of God has become a specific human responsibility. It is Moses who will do what God said, and it is Moses who will run the risks that God seemed totally ready to take. The connection of God and Moses, of heaven and earth, of great power and dangerous strategy, is all carried out in that statement, I will send you. The joining is done through the vulnerable, risk-taking body of Moses, on whom everything now depends. The cries of the people and God's resolve for redemption of them are the priorities. And the proposition to Moses is direct unequivocal and clear. Lay down your plans and take up my plans. Lay down your dreams for stability and take up my dreams for redemption of the people. Leave behind safety and take hands with the great risk taker and walk into the place where injustice lives. Moses' venture into the wilderness and his transformative encounter with the moor is mirrored in Cheryl Strayed's memoir, Wild. The trail leads her to wrestle with her past and find the courage to return back home at the end. Her wisdom gained by the adventure leads to a memoir that tops the Oprah book list and also is soon to be a movie because it worships at the gods of self-betterment and internal peace. Her story triumphs the calling to find yourself and experience personal healing. And all of these things are good and things for which we all yearn. They are things that make some people spiritual but not religious, desiring peace and assuming it's found mainly by turning inward. By the end of her book, though, 
I couldn't help feel as if her journey, she tasted a piece of it but missed the feast. She tasted a trickle of it and missed the fountain. For I believe that the difference comes in the manner of the calling. The call of the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and ultimately of Christ is not simply about turning inward for inner peace. It's most profoundly about turning outward, drawing you away from the idol of self and into the relationship with others. The call is almost always to pursue the healing of the hurting, even if it's at the expense of your own security and stability. The call is to lay down your own betterment as you see it and to seek the betterment of the other. The call is to take seriously the cries of the hurting and God's resolve for redemption and hope that what Jesus said is true for those who want to save their life will lose it and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The miracle perhaps is that Moses walks back to Egypt even though he had to know that he was approaching imminent danger. He walks back even though God's dream must have seemed impossible. He walks back even though God's rescuing of the world has never been easy or without its wounds. How firm the grip must have been between Moses' hands and God's hands as they walked back. And how firm the resolve must have been between God's heart and Moses' heart. The God who is determined to walk into the courts of Pharaoh and liberate the slaves through Moses is the same God who shows up fully in the human flesh of Jesus and walks towards Jerusalem. It's the God who lives and loves in such a way that the powerful exert their control by crucifixion, and it is the God who resurrects Christ to show that hope always triumphs over fear and domination. Gary Hagan, who's president of the International Justice Mission, a human rights agency, puts it this way. How does God seek justice? By some great mystery and enormous privilege, God has chosen God's people, empowered by God's spirit to complete this task. God simply does not have another plan. We will never be able to know God's plans. And we can debate the theological ramifications of God's actions and our action and where it all falls. But there is one theme that runs throughout all of scripture. God's preferred method of redemption is through human hands in concert with God's spirit. That moves the world closer to God's dream on earth as it is in heaven. God's dream for the world is activated by that oneness of God and humanity hand in hand. For God and humanity have an intimate, dynamic relationship whereby each side gives and takes. We give our wounds and our burdens to God, and God takes them on as God's own. And God gives to us God's dream to liberate the hurting, and we take on God's courage and determination. And somewhere... In the mystery of it all, we build a union with God that changes the direction of our lives and we hope the direction of our world. Walking hand in hand with God leads us on a journey that is flawed and messy, it is countercultural and counterintuitive. It will seem as foolishness to the outside world and even to us on some days. 
It will lead us through the deep waters of fear and the fiery trials of opposition, but we will walk it together. Through it all, in humility as imperfect people, and yet in boldness as God's people, we will face the proposition time and time again along the way. Lay down your life and all you have planned and take up God's risky dreams for liberation. Join hands with the great risk taker and wade into the dangerous waters of redemption. Firm is the foundation that we form together, invested in responding to the places of hurt with the healing power of God's love in our very own flesh. So those who have reached their limit and can take no more of the suffering, cry out. Pierce the invisible boundary of divine and human. Let earth and heaven know that you can bear it no more. Trust that God listens and God is actively calling out others to come alongside you to help make a path to healing and freedom So when they knock on your door, open it and let them in. And those who have heard the calling to sacrifice comfort in order to unite with those who are hurting, listen. Trust the wild calling to serve. Take a step in boldness and stand with the suffering. Join your vocation with God's resolve for redemption. Firm is the grip that we hold as we walk hand in hand with the God who hears, who remembers, who calls, who joins with, and who redeems. Should today be the day that you want to join your life with God as a follower of Christ, or to join this community of faith as we seek to listen to the cries of the hurting and join God's resolve for redemption. It's our tradition that you come forward to share that decision with us as we sing our final hymn. Now to the one who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish far more than all we could ask or imagine. To God may we give our worship, our praise, and our very lives. Let us stand and sing.